Hej. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for listening to the It's All Music podcast with me, Carrie, Henny and Corky. We are blown away by your support and your continued listenership. The It's All Music podcast is completely independent self-finance venture. If you enjoy our content and you'd like to support what we're doing, you can head over to our Patreon page and subscribe for three euros a month. If you don't have the money, please share it on all your social media platforms. And that'll be just as good. Thanks from the lads. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're mocking my one. <laughs> from the lads. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of It's All Music, the music interview podcast with Carrie, Henny, and Quirky. Your host, the H-Bomb, Owen Hennessy, co-hosts Mike Carey, and me, Dave Quirk. On this episode, we're honoured to have this man down with us, a singer, a guitarist, a sound engineer, band leader with Ocean 6, band leader with Ocean's 8, the Connor Ocean solo act, and the well-known band, the Moondogs. With vast experience in music and sound, performing and engineering, this man has also put in the hours studying music and achieving a master's degree of arts in music just last year. This man has made a career for music, and we're looking forward to sitting down and hearing his story. Would you please give it up for... And welcome, Mr. Connor O'Brien. Connor O'Brien. <laughs> uh, Connor, welcome to the It's All Music podcast. Um, uh, delighted to have you down. We've we've mentioned you on the podcast before, and it's nice to have you here to. Uh, to uh, uh, enlighten us in your uh, tribulations and experiences in the world of music. Um, mm-hmm. I suppose where we'll start with is your music, uh, music growing up in the house. What were you exposed to? What do you think made the light bulb moment? Was there musicians in the family? Was there a lot of love for musicians, a lot, a lot of music in the house growing up? No, yes, no, 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 yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming in, Connor. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> Strangely enough, there was very little music in the house. Um, my dad is, or it was, dad passed away a few years ago, but dad was born in 1934, so even by the time the 60s came along, dad was already, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of beyond it. Mum was really into, she, would, she was 11 years younger, so she kind of grew up in pop in the 50s and 60s, and she loved Neil Sedaka, and she loved the Beatles, and she loved Elvis and all that kind of stuff, but really the pop end of all of that. But strangely enough, like, we didn't have a record player. Um, I think we had about five or six tapes when I was a kid. There was the Beatles, there was Boney M, there was Luciano Pavarotti, and there was uh, ABBA. And that was pretty much all there was. That's pretty good, kid. though. It, it wasn't bad. Now, there was music in Mum's family. My grandfather was an opera singer. Um, uh, I have a 78 of him playing in the Gaiety with the Garda Brass Band. Um, and my grandmother, who died in the early 60s, I never met her. She was a piano player. So there was music in the house, but uh, it didn't, uh, <laughs> it didn't um, pass on to Mum. Mum, right. could, Mum could open her mouth and sing a song and... Every time you open mouth, you'd be in a different key. Right, yeah. Yeah, so... <laughs> I suffer um, from that same infliction myself, actually. <laughs> so uh, there wasn't much, and Dad was only kind of into trad music. He 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 played he played the button accordion before he went to sea in, in, the, in the early 60s. 
and uh, he never played again when he came back. But he was enthusiastic about trad music and very little else. He wouldn't have been yeah. enthusiastic about anything I was into, but he wouldn't he wouldn't tell you to turn it off or anything like that. He was fairly easy going yeah. about it, you know. And were you into music from an early age? I had an uncle who he says he didn't live with us, but it was like he was there always there when I was very small. He went to college in Cork and I think he got his dinners and his his uh his laundry and all that done and at our house so I think he was there all the time because yeah. he's in all the photographs when I was a kid he played guitar and he was he was kind of cool so right. Uncle Mike would have been kind of an early influence on that but no nothing till uh, just before my dessert um, right. there was a piece of, of uh, something in the shape of a guitar um, unplayable Unplayable, like we would have, you know, we would have mimed away with us when we were kids. Um, yeah, yeah, like in front of the mirror, like Derek that, Fox says. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. We all did it. We all did it. Like, oh, yeah. But um, when I was uh, 15, before my intercert, I I, just, I decided I wanted to learn guitar. So we brought the guitar in. As you do, we brought the guitar in to get it tuned. <laughs> to get it tuned, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That happens a lot. Yeah. When you say you brought it in, where? We, we brought it into Crowley's music Crowley's store to get, it, to get it fixed, which meant get it tuned. And we got new strings for it. Yeah. And we got them to, asked them to put new strings in. And we were told to come back a couple of days later. I don't know. Because the queue of people who wanted strings <laughs> on their guitar was huge. Oh, yeah. um, That's so mad, we arrived back it? in and Michael Crowley was dealing with us. And... Uh, Mum's, um, like he brought out the guitar and he said, um, basically, we'll throw it away for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there was a pencil under it, was one of those ones with a kind of a metal bridge that came from the end of the back of the guitar, almost like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah nearly like a Bigsby. And there was a metal, uh, there was a pencil underneath it holding the bridge up. Oh, yeah, yeah. And by the time you got the Sixth string and tune the first string would go back out again because the whole thing moved. Oh, for fun, oh, so. Yeah. Yeah. So it was old, it's like when you, when you bring an old toaster to Orbans. So my mum kind of um, uh, kind of huffed and puffed and then said, uh, what's the cheapest guitar you've got? And he pointed at a Spanish guitar and he said, that's £35. So mum was feeling kind of generous. He said, what's the second cheapest guitar you've got? And he pointed at another one that was £40 and... Uh, Someone bought me the guitar for forty pounds, oh, and that was that was my start. And then it was kind of we're walking down the street after I bought it, and I'm delighted with myself. Mm. And I got some kind of something along the lines of if this affects your or your intercert, we're taking it back. <laughs> intercert. Oh. What age? What age would you be intercert? Yeah, uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. junior sort kind of a thing. Yeah. And so, if you'd yeah. known then that you would go on to do. The wedding banding and the original banding and the sound engineering and the crooning and the, all the all that stuff. The career that you've had in music since. Did you know that at the time? Did you, you know, did you? Uh, did definitely you not. I wanted to be a car designer. Um, but when I was in, I'd say within six months of having the guitar, uh, my buddy who probably is going to be on this at some stage, Owen Jordan, he got a guitar as well, and uh, we started a band, <laughs> three guitar players and a drummer. <laughs> no bass player no bassism bass again oh no yeah, more, more bass another bassist happiest days of his life and, uh, <laughs> I don't know how long it's a long time ago but six months or a year later anyway I was ousted out of the band you were kicked out I was Ooh. kicked out yeah yeah and I know I've forgiven him since you know like, <laughs> 
How long ago were you? How long ago was this? <laughs> Why did they kick you out? Because you don't talk on the phone. We've got someone here. Years ago. Someone here who wants his bone to pick with you. <laughs> so, uh, I probably deserved it. I think that uh, might have something to do with you going on founding a, a successful corporate band and a successful. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I went on. I did. I, I did my first gig in the really fancy surrounds of um, Delaney's GA Hall. Yeah. There was a guy in my class, a guy called Graham Finn, and uh, Graham's dad had a recording studio and he knew everybody and he put on this gig and uh, a couple of the school bands played at it and it was during the summer holidays and we got to play it. That was my first ever gig. Three piece, all my own stuff, uh, bass, guitar and, and drums. I sang and I played lead guitar and everything, which I've never really played ever since, but I was ultra confident in my abilities back then. Um, Graham went on to be in The Emperor's Ice Cream. Oh, yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He lives in New York now or something. I haven't seen him in about Great 15 band, years. Yeah. Um, and Chris McCarthy was in the same class as well. Bass player extraordinaire. Is that so the same class that Owen Jordan was in? We were all in the same year, yeah. Get away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was another guy in our year who went on to be a professional musician for a while, Niall, Niall O'Connell. Very, mm. very good player as well. He's kind of why I started playing, because, you know, at 14 or 15, Niall could play Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits perfectly, and I was a mad Dire Straits fan. Yeah. So, Wow, he can yeah. do that at yeah. fourteen. Like, I just surely if I practice, I'll be able to do it. And here I am, you know, forty-eight, and I still can't <laughs> play it. Like, it's amazing song. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, it's a great example of how to write a love song without being cheesy. You know, it is on the ball. Like, yeah, it's it's an amazing gym. Yeah, absolutely amazing gym. So your early your early days of playing was with Owen Jordan in school, fifteen years of age in a band. Uh, I spoke on the podcast before about when you're that age. Did you feel that that band was kind of super important to you at the time? I remember being in bands when I was 15 and it was the most important thing in the world. Then. It was very, very important. Yeah. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I was gutted when I was kicked out of the band. Go away. <laughs> um, but look, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a great experience. I went off to college. I went to Carlo to do industrial design to become a car designer. Right. And uh, that's where it really started for me because I got involved in the music industry. and In Carlo? In Carlo and a, and a bunch, myself and a bunch of other long-haired people put together a band. And uh, they were better guitar players than I was. And they'd been in bands together and a couple of them were from Dublin and whatever like that. So I went from kind of doing my own stuff to next being this long-haired lead singer in a band doing Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin. So in Scrags Alley. Scrags Alley. Did you play in Scrags Alley? Did I play in Scrags Alley? I played in Scrags Alley and the guy who was doing sound for the, the weekly Wednesday night gig um, went from having me there a lot to hiring me to be his helper. In Scrags? In Scrags. Uh, a guy called Shawnee Fenley in mm. Carlo. He's still around. Great guy. And Shawnee gave me my start. That's where I got, in, got into sound because Shawnee kind of started hiring me as a kind of a humper or road gopher, yeah, gopher yeah. kind of guy and then there'd be nights where he'd have two things on and I'd be left in one venue and so it would have been Archie's and Scrags and Tully's Tully. oh, you're bringing me back did you yeah, yeah Corky that's your neck that's in your turf yeah. yo well it is and it isn't I trained I trained as a nurse in Watford yeah my home address is Leash so when I was put on placement they thought look sure Carlos close to Leash yeah. which it wasn't anywhere near where I lived but anyway I, tr- I would have Cut my teeth in Carlo as a nurse and yeah. uh, joined, was living down there, started bands and played. Well, yeah. I didn't play at all pubs. We didn't get that far. It was but, a tough, uh, the Carlo, no, it was, it was a very hard, tough, very hard place on the liver. 
Is it just yeah. me? I was going to say, but my memories from the venue you mentioned there, Scraggs. Were you ever there, Mike? No. No. It's a in my head from in my memory. It's a wild place. Was it? Was it really wild? I remember walking in there and I met my cousin. You know, she was in college. She was more. She was more in the scene. You know, I was kind of a coming up from Waterford. I was live. I was in digs. I was. You know, yeah. I was training to be this nurse. And but I went out that night. That, that would have been. Were, that would have been a bit after me, though, would it? Ah, uh, yeah, it would have been two thousand and. Oh, yeah. 2006, 2005. 13, 13, 14 years after me. But I remember walking uh, into Scraggs and it was early, like, but they were out maybe a couple of hours. I walked in, she just poured a pint over my head and it yeah. was oh. normal. Yeah. No one batted a night. That's what I remember as well. <laughs> Lunatic <laughs> spot. Yeah. And then yeah. the big club. Was the big club there and you're the Din no. League? No. No, when yeah. I was there, the big club was actually the Seven Oaks Hotel. Oh, yeah. They had a massive oh, the ballroom Oaks. and they ran a clo- nightclub in that, but I think they wanted to get extra stars or something like that, so mm. they shot that down and they didn't reopen a couple of years after I was gone. So uh, you're playing, they were your, was that the start of your kind of professional gigging? Yeah, we, we were gigging a lot and because we were playing, like back in the day, it's hard to imagine how Carlo was like this epicentre for death metal in Ireland. Really? Really, like Carlo and Kilkenny was all death metal. Kildare as well for strange for some strange reason. Yeah. Mad into the death metal up there. But because we were playing Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and stuff like that, we kind of fitted into that ilk. So anytime there was a headbangers ball, we were in the lineup. So we d- we did an awful lot of those. We so were doing the classics. Some metal. of them were lively. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there a few bob in it back then? That was the night. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, a lot of money yeah, in it. I think the most we ever got paid was £35 between four of us. <laughs> Big money. Is that good in the 90s? <laughs> no. £35. Um, I, I think we. we um, no, I think we got £60. We got £60. There was a, a tour called the Heineken Roller Coaster Tour, right. which went around to all the RTCs at yeah, the time. Right. And uh, like local bands would be in a competition to win to be on the tour, to be on the oh, yeah. the leg in that in that town, and we won ours. So we got to play with um, the Pale, the Harvest Ministers, Jeez. and Slack. Class, and uh, that was a big deal. We got sorry, sixty pounds for the tour. <laughs> no, for the gig. It was one gig. <laughs> sixty bucks between how many of you? Trying to remember, I think was there four or five in the band. Yeah. But it was, that was big money. Oh, we, Do you have we, the number of the venue? Because I went, wouldn't mind getting a space in that. The best thing we ever got, though, a, f- uh, a, f- a few months later, we won the Tully's annual band competition. Big deal. Like a battle of the bands. Battle of the bands. Yeah. 88 cans of beer was the prize. Was the prize. <laughs> but you're right about the death metal. Like I had a, fr- a friend of mine, a guy, I, a guy I trained with, and I was in a band with him, uh, his brother, his twin brother, Dave Hines. He, he, he's in a... <laughs> He's in a band. They're called Grave Sermon. Now these guys like this, yeah. but they're top class death metal. Yeah. Like they're, they're sounds they're, cheerful. Yeah, but they're. Yeah. Fuck, uh, there's they're, venues for this up there, is there? Was hmm. was yeah, and it had it would attract a oh, crowd. Yeah. yeah, seems bizarre to me. To be well, like you, Fred Zeppelin, and Cork, don't you? Yeah, but you're oh, that's tiny. The, like you the big venue was Alcox, which was quite big. Where is it? It was Alcox. Was the was the kind of the main place for the headbangers balls, and that would have been. Probably the size of the back room the two mill in. Yeah. And it, so, Jesus. That's yeah. mad. Yeah. I know. I feel sorry nowadays for metal bands. I know guys who dedicate their lives to their metal bands. like, And they're up and down the country pay, playing gigs for that literally still that kind of money. And they're playing to the support bands. And they're getting back in their car and driving two hours home. You know, it's... 
Even the best outcome there probably isn't that great, is it? No, no. even the best ones, like even the best, even ones the are, really, really good ones. I like yeah. some of the musicianship of those bands. Oh, incredible, it's phenomenal. There was a particular it's band in yeah. Carlo at the time called Grave Dweller, right. and they were they were excellent. I was living in second year. I was living with the drummer right. called Stuart Nolan. Not case, right? But uh, they were. They were really proficient. They were really good. It's like as yeah. if they're too good to play the other stuff. <laughs> and if they can, yeah. they just don't want to. It would kill them to go into a pub playing covers. Yeah. So they play it it, it has a lot of similarities to the jazz. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. in the sense that it's all about virtuoso, but it's also, you know, not very broad uh, yeah. audience. Yeah. It's know? niche, like. Yeah. Yeah. Very niche. Yeah. How was that name, Dave? Throw it there again. Your pal. Dead Sermon. No. They're doing well. <laughs> No do they kids do come to you for listening. Just throw debt in. Debt or grave. Yeah. I bet you you can't read their logo. Oh, no. You've, no, you're not meant to be able to read them. No, it's meant to look like the roots from a load of trees. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It's kind of melting. So um, you came back to Cork then. After I did Stefan Nefa. You did the course in Stefan I, t- I deferred for a year from college to come back and do Stefan Nefa. Right. I deferred for a year uh, in 1994 and I never went back. And... You came back to lecture on Stefan. No, I came back to be well. I came back to do Stefan later in life. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. I brought out a CD in 1997, an original was, music yes, CD. It was awful. <laughs> what was it? Was it you doing rock it, stuff? It was me doing my own stuff. Under what name? Under the name Connor Lynn. Connor Lynn. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, I was. It was all my own stuff, but I was kind of really into stuff like the Prodigy and that kind of thing. I liked that kind of rock dance music kind of thing that was at the moment. Didn't quite get the concept across to the producer, who probably did what I asked, but it turned out being completely different from who what was I wanted. It? it was a guy called Donna Long. He was a very um, well-respected songwriter. Right. He wrote uh, You'll Never Be the Sun. Dolores Keane had a hit with it. Oh, yeah. But he was quite a big man and a big personality, and I was only in my early 20s and... Mm. Couldn't really stand up to him. Yeah, yeah, so he muscled in on your vision. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think I can blame him. I think it was just was a mismatch. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it fizzled out pretty quickly after that. And How long did you pursue that for the original stuff? I pursued the original stuff for about four years, four or five years. I was in a, an original band prior to that called Dandelion Crash, which was um, with, uh, like, Ian Walsh, you know, the drummer know from Pontius yeah. Pilot and the yeah, Nail Drivers. He, he was in that band. Um, Martin Bohan, who used to do sound in the Savoy, he was in that band as well. Great band. Loved it. Just, again, just kind of didn't happen, kind of fell apart a bit. Yeah. Isn't um, the original music a tough slog? Maybe the toughest, is, yeah. like, regardless of what genre you're in. It's just, you know, I know so many fellas and I've been in it myself. It's, it's hard to do, like, you know. In a way, there's loads of reasons why it's easier now. But one of the reasons I'd say for why it was worse back then was if you brought out a CD and it was only an EP, it was four songs, mm. you had to press 500 CDs and 250 tapes or they wouldn't do the pressing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It started so, at okay. 250 or so 5,000. You, you, were, you were kind of... Like, yeah. you, you were screwed. I mean, I, I, I think by the time it was finished, I was about 2,500 in debt oh, and I was... Um, on what I would have, we would refer to back in the day as the musicians' allowance, uh, the dole, which was, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was eight, all of I think eighty two fifty a week. Yeah. So facing a two and a half thousand euro debt with that, now my parents were were very generous and and helped out and all that, 
but it was time to do something else. So I went off and I, I qualified in electronics and I quit music completely. Oh, and wow. that was the end of music for me. And over points one night, uh, still doing the odd acoustic gig, but over points one night, then myself and Chris McCarthy and a childhood friend of ours called Alan Hutchinson were out for a few points. And I was kind of saying, she's a lot of a band, just have a bit of bit of crack, something like the Hollies when you mm. started out. Just love to do something like that, just for a bit of fun. So the three of us started doing gigs on the Blackbird and Ballycotton under the name The Moon Dogs. Oh, yeah. And uh, then... And were you living in East Cork at this stage? No, but my wife is from Ballycotton. Oh, right. So we were going over with each other right. back then. And uh, um, I was working in the Old Oak at that stage doing sound. I just got recommended. I ended up working in soundtracks because there was not much work on electronics at the time. So started working as a sound engineer and work, you know... Fixer. Fixer and whatever in soundtracks. And uh, they recommended me to the Old Oak when, when they were looking for somebody to take over doing sound there. Then Jerk Hiley got wind that I had a band and said, oh, you'll have to come and play here. And we went and we played once as a three-piece and he said, look, you probably need to make the band a bit bigger because I'm, I'm not a great guitar player. Needed somebody to kind of uh, fill out the sound. Mm. So uh, we expanded. We got a guy called Owen Regan, Reg, in on guitar. Uh, phenomenal blues guitar player. Absolutely phenomenal. And uh, we tried out a few different keyboard players and we ended up with Martin Finn, who also lives here in the Middleton oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. area. And uh, we had a bit of fun with that for a couple of years, and that's what got me back into playing and got me back for the love thing. Still under the moon dogs at, at the name at that stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's all I was doing. And occasional, occasional. I was doing sound three nights a week. Yeah, and I was playing occasionally three weekends. So when you took the job doing sound in the old oak. You had given up playing initially. Yeah, and completely. Only, and you were only doing sound engineering. Yeah. And was Cypress Avenue there at that stage or was it just the old Cypress day? Avenue was um, just that bar area at the back. It was like a function room upstairs. You must have you must have come across done sound for an awful lot of good acts in, in the 90s and in the noughties in, in the Oak, yeah? Uh, I loved it back then when I started. The standard of the bands... You got to bear in mind as well. There was way more money in gigging at the time. It's Celtic Tiger. So it is. It's, that'd still be kind of pre-Celtic Tiger, late nineties, early noughties. Like, I mean, you would it wouldn't have been unusual for a band to be getting a thousand punts on a on a Sunday night in the Old Oak. Yeah, yeah. And you would be because there was more parity with <clears throat> Sterling and and you at the time. You get an awful lot of UK bands. We would have a UK band nearly once a month. Get away on tour. Um, yeah, they'd come over and they'd do a couple of venues. They do. There was like a circuit. Yeah. Of the big venues, so you'd, you'd the old Oak and Cork, and you'd you'd the Keys, and you'd you Keys know, and Galway, yeah. you know those places like that, and they'd book a tour of four or five of them, and they'd get the ferry back again. Any particular standout act that you saw in there that blew you away? Um, well, there was an Irish act. I think the best tribute band I ever saw was Tennis Lizzie. Back. Oh yeah, and they're still yeah. do they're still gigging. I don't know if they're as good now as they were then, because yeah. they're probably not gigging as much now. But yeah. back then they were they're nearly full time at it, and they were just awesome. Yeah, they. They sounded like the record only a bit better. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think the Tim Lizzie records were particularly well recorded. Yeah. But they were just awesome. They were just brilliant. The memories, um, they were a legendary cover band. Um, but original bands, yeah, we, we had some great ones through there. Um, trying to think the ones that really stand out for me. Uh, I got to do sound for The Hottest Flowers a bunch of times. 
phenomenal band. Yeah. I, and I never really liked them back in the day, but when I saw them live, they're one of the best live acts I've ever seen. Yeah. Liam O'Reilly, there isn't a note he can't hit. Yeah. And there isn't a note he can't hit with beautiful tone. venue in Cork for years wasn't yeah you'd picture house you had the four of us you had even things like Republic of Loose and stuff like that they would have played there quite regularly like a couple of times a year Aslan played there a couple of times a year um, like uh, I'm trying to think now the Frank and Walters hadn't played in Cork in years and they came back and did, a, did, did their homecoming gig in the Old Oak and yeah. um, an old buddy my Mick Finnegan was doing sound for them back then because he'd been their sound engineer back before they went off you know, mm. and uh, I got to sit inside Mick at the desk and experience just one of the greatest gigs I've ever seen. Like the stereo, like they were brilliant, but the crowd were just hadn't seen them in a couple of years, and it was mm. just, they were so up for it. It was amazing. Brilliant. Um, Peter Green played there, yeah, uh, jazz festival. The poor fella, like he wasn't, he wasn't really, wasn't really on the same planet as everybody else. Loads of brilliant acts up, upstairs. Um, <sighs> Off the top of my head, yeah, I'm not. I'm not so thinking of them. Of them. There was, there were so many. I Used mean, to go to the old Oakland. therapy and stuff for that as yeah. well. Yeah. Probably not that early. It's uh, Fred Zeppelin's yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, a bit more nuts and balls, rougher, like yeah, yeah, just lads like who were fucking, you know, couldn't play a note, like <laughs> put a band together on a Friday night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Saturday for a listen. But, but even even back then, like the likes what what Bong the Donkey were doing back then, yeah. when they were a much bigger <clears> band than they. They were trad rock, and they did a guy from Galway, um, Tony. God, Tony Hogan coming down. One of the best frontmen I'd ever seen. And yeah. like I always kind of look back at twenty three years in the old oak, yeah. but I always look back at it as a hell of an education. I'd be looking at these bands, and I wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be up there, so I studied what worked. Okay, what did all the really great ones have in common? What was the you know, uh, some pe- some people some people it? like Tony Tony know in in in, in Bogdanaki, but Tony just had that magnetism from day one. You just so it's something off the stage. It's something this, on a personal level. I don't know if it's something you can truly learn. I just okay. think he had charisma straight yeah. off. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've worked at it, but it's I've worked at it. I don't think I'd ever had natural charisma. Right. Um, and you know, I'm constantly fighting resting bitch face on a muppet stone stage, like, <laughs> but. Um, one thing I, I mean, a guy you learned a lot from, and I got to play with a lot was Hank Waddell. I yeah. think Hank, oh, yeah. Hank, um, I have no idea what he thinks of me, yeah. but I think he's fucking amazing. Yeah. Excuse the language, I don't even know if I'm loads of Oh, words. Well, well, yeah. 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 Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just like studying Hank and the repertoire, and but the way, like, almost even if he was playing a really slow song, he was still throwing energy out there. He was still yeah. moving on stage. He was, there was always this energy to what he was doing mm. and I learned a lot from that that, mm. that you j- just don't sit still you know yeah keep the energy going you know keep moving keep dancing keep you know well, getting your groove on it yeah. I think it adds the visual element of people here with their eyes a lot as well you know yeah so, like to, when venues are paying for bands we've spoken about down on the podcast uh, I spoke with Mike actually because every band Mike seemed to be uh, every time I've ever seen Mike play like there's a lot of jumping around. There's a lot of lively stuff. And it, if there was a band there or not, you can't afford to be paying ones that want to sit down, like, really, can you, you know? I must say, the jumping around gets harder as you get older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't do half as much of that now. No, don't you? <laughs> it, it does get fucking yeah. harder, yeah. It, it does, do, yeah. I, I, It also becomes a bit of a... Um, 
a vicious circle. Okay, there was an, again. You're asking who were one of, the, one of the better bands that, that played in the Oloke, the Bogus Brothers back in the day. Yeah, they yeah. Were this yeah. amazing band. There was three Cork lads in it as well. When I kind of started to get Pat that Flynn, on, on to me and uh, Mickey Mare. They were oh, all they were all in it at that stage, and that's where I would have met all the lads. Um, now Owen would have been from Ballyfehan, who would have been from near where I grew up, but a couple of years older. He's than me. currently with the Sky Band, the service. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, great player, great player, so well to one, and they were it? just amazing. Now the lads eventually left the band and went back to Cork and did their own thing, mm. but the band kept coming without them. Right, and their, the madness that they got up to, I felt like every time they came back, they had to be a bit madder and they'd be a bit madder. Yeah, and they'd be a bit yeah, madder. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it it, it ended up and look. I had so much respect for that band, but yeah. it ended up with them up on the balcony and they're fucking jocks. Yeah, yeah. And trying taking to, off their jocks. Trying to be outdo the Trying last. to outdo the last thing they were there. Yeah, and it yeah. was like, like... Where does that go. stop? I don't, I, I don't know end, where it like, stopped because yeah. there was no... I mean, they're naked on the stage. Where are you going to go from there? You're br- yeah. brilliant musicians. Why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. You know, so... And they were brilliant musicians. Yeah. So, like... And I, I found that a bit with, with Oceans, with my wedding band. So we've moved on a little bit. I... I, I Taking off your jocks? <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite. Um, I missed that gig. <laughs> no, back in Carlo with the puppet assassin, there would have been a fair bit of taking off my shirt and jumping into the crowd. Yeah. But no, um, I auditioned for a wedding band called Boja- uh, called sorry Jazz and Atra. And it was all Frank Sinatra stuff. And it was a bit of a departure. Now, I had sung with the jazz big band in the School of Music back in the 90s for a very short period. And uh, so I had a bit of background in it. And... Um, I started with Jazz and Atra and uh, like it had Carl Rooney and Chris McCarthy and Dr. Derek Kremen and it was like all these serious musos in the band. They were amazing. Like. Carl Rooney, yeah. And um, that then I kind of ended up having my own version of it. I kind of was approached by an agency and they said, look, we'd like to build a round around you. Do, do you want it to be Jazz and Atra or do you want it to be your own thing? And I said, look, I think I want to be in charge of it myself. And we did a kind of... Um, we did all the Snatra kind of Dean Martin kind of stuff, but we rocked it up a little bit okay. to make it work in a pub. Yeah. So I'd say Jazz Puritans hated us, but it kind of worked with crowds and it worked mm. with weddings and it, you know, yeah. like you, you couldn't go into the old classic bar on a Saturday night and play Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. could if you had own Ian Walsh playing drums, which we did. Yeah. You know, it was it was like the drummer from Punch's Pilot and the Nail Driver Clean and we James. were playing New York, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was going to be, it was going to be, he- it was going to be rocking, it was going to be heavy. But, like, myself and the guitar player, Marcus, we were getting on bar counters. doing an awful lot of what, what you do now. Not with the same panache as you do it, like. I think I leave the panache to Dan Wolf. Really, you know? <laughs> but we're doing all this. <laughs> You'll learn panache. We're doing all this kind of climbing around on bar counters yeah. and trying to be mad feckers and, and radio packs going out through the crowd yeah. and all that. And it got to the stage where there was times I was getting up on the bar counter and, you know, I was probably... It's probably your age now, like. Yeah. And we haven't ha- haven't had a fair few back injuries along the way. Yeah. And you're up in the bar counter going, yeah. I'm 35, why am I up in this fucking bar? Like? How am I getting back down off <laughs> yeah. of this? Yeah. And it wasn't too graceful getting back down, yeah, you know. Yeah. Getting so up, I getting up you could, I could, I could manage getting up is getting back down without without injuring myself while carrying a guitar and trying to look like I'm, I'm cool, you know. Yeah. It was only mom- <laughs> momentary, but I knocked myself unconscious on stage once. Where? In Tully's in Carlo, I climbed up on a guitar amp and it, the stage was a temporary stage and it was already a low ceiling. So when I stood up on the guitar and stood straight up, I went straight into the ceiling. And you lost uh, consciousness. And, uh, yeah, I kind of, 
I'd say a split second later, but it was like Tweety Birds heading for the floor. You know? Isn't it amazing the way you go, let's go and pull it together? No one saw it. <laughs> they all fucking saw it. Like, did you ever see, did you ever see the video of Dave Grohl? I don't know what he's playing at. He's well, he's slow trunk to beer. It's like there's some normal, there's like a there's regular PA. PA yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he has the beer and the be- he tr- knocks the beer. He doesn't do that well. And then he gets to get back up. And like, <laughs> it's Dave Grohl, but he still looks fucking... Do you do, know? Do you no, I don't ridiculous. think I, I don't think I look cool. Dave Grohl <laughs> is cool as shit. If he fall if he falls into the crowd, like two women could catch him, right? They'd be delighted and get back up. Yeah. If I fall onto a group of women, right, you might kill them. I all. could kill them, right? <laughs> and it won't look cool because I'm not Dave Grohl. <laughs> so I do less and less wireless stuff. If you're listening, Dave Grohl, which you're definitely not, send us on some tips. That's kind of thing. <laughs> So yeah, you um you were destined for the wedding thing. The wedding thing was your kind of main yeah. tangle, wasn't no, it? What I always say when I meet musicians from back in the day, yeah, uh, I sold my soul to cabaret. Yeah. So if we could yeah. open up on that point, just where exactly did you sell out? I'm trying to think. Um, uh. Do you know what it is? It was when I realised, partly I realised I was never going to be famous. It was partly I realised that the whole you know, rock and roll, rock and roll, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was partly realizing that you know that's probably not going to happen. I probably don't have the, to know if I ever really had the talent, but I probably didn't have the work ethic, and I maybe I could have got over both of those, but I, I couldn't have taken the rejection involved in that. Yeah, you know that's yeah. that's that's a tough industry, and I kind of came to the realization that I actually like playing I like singing and I like entertaining people and you have a chance to make which you did make a good living from yeah. music at 100% even still to this day you're teaching in music and you're you know yeah. you're educating you yeah, you were saying earlier like it is very hard you know the original thing oh but it's it, the hardest doesn't it really mean that they're really dedicated to get through it though don't they deserve it maybe do you, do you still be so it? difficult like but is it better off to be I think if you thought, if I work hard enough, I will achieve what I want out of this, then it would be worth the hard work. But chances are, the vast majority of the hard work goes unappreciated and goes kind of no, to it's the wayside. Lottery too, like, but... Yeah. yeah lottery a, even with, with all the talent yeah. and all the hard work and all of the rejection, there's still a chance you'll get nowhere. Yeah. I mean, in fairness to Ed Sheeran, Ed Sheeran has worked his ass off for years to get where he is. Yeah. I have the utmost respect for the man. Not like I'm going to, not like I bought any of his albums or I'm going to listen to any of it, but he can really play guitar. Yeah. He can really sing. Yeah. He's worked his ass off. And I think he's kind of this generation's Phil Collins that he's just bloody we're everywhere and we're sick of him. It doesn't mean he's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's Phil Collins, by, by 1990, Phil Collins was everywhere. He was in a movie. He was on Miami Vice. Yeah, he, was, yeah, yeah. he was playing drums for this guy. He was producing that guy and he was like, you know, you were just yeah. so sick of him. And I think we're at that yeah. stage with Ed Sheeran. But I do, I genuinely do believe that when we look back at Ed Sheeran in 20 years' time, we're going to be looking back at, you know, somebody we now consider like, you significant. know, significant, like, um, you know, Elton John in the 70s yeah. or something like that. Yeah. His his body of work is really, really good for what it is. And you, lads, I've seen him live twice. God almighty, he puts on a show. Yeah. yeah on his you own. Know? I never looked at him and thought he was kind of magnetic, though. I never thought he had much... Swagger. I think that's part of the charm. Is that part of it? I think he's just overcome it with sheer hard work. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's a grafter. He's also, like, he's yeah. also um, 
he's inspired he an entire generation yeah. of youngsters to pick up the guitar, which yep. isn't a bad thing ever. Silly little guitars, but yeah, guitars. <laughs> yeah. They're small, aren't they? Those yeah. ones, I have a Taylor one. Uh, it's a Loudons. Uh, Is it Loudons? He's he he no, but it was Martin's originally. Oh, it was Martin's, yeah. And he brought out that, that signature little one, and uh, they uh, just had a queue of people. There up was a load of music up in Maloney's uh, in, yeah. in Galway. A load of these guitars. Yeah, yeah with a little X on it. Sheeran one, yeah. Loop pedals. Loop pedals. Whatever, if you're small and stature like, but if you're a big fellow like myself, and look with those guitars, it looked like yeah, a fucking ukulele. Yeah, I know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I play it when I'm yeah. on the couch. <laughs> the they were a travel guitar when I was, yeah. or a, uh, as I remember, parlor guitar. But he kind of he kind of pushed yeah. that in a in a sense that this is what I started with. I don't use a, pl- yeah. a plec. I've no bend. I want to keep going with it and keep going with it and keep going with it. All I have is a loop pedal. Yeah. It's not out of mainness. Like, it's not that he's no. kind of, I'm just, no, I don't want any overheads. Well, the, fir- like, the first time I saw him, it was just him and he had a trial band came out to Galway Girl and that was it. The mm. second time last summer when I saw him, because the first time I kind of went, Kim Wayne, go like, could he never go in and just get a band? Because yeah. he'd be better with a band and he wasn't. Yeah. I the sound too. was really bad when the band were playing. Yeah. They had this really weird st- setup where he was in a revolving stage. In the centre. In the centre and they were outstretched looking back in him. Okay. It didn't sound very well. What he was doing was astonishing. The guy had this loop station thing that's been built for him with yeah. five stations that were all interlinked. Yeah. Around the stage. And he could he could go to one part of the stage and it's slowly revolving the whole time, but he'd sink to that bit of the crowd and he'd tap some stuff in. Then he'd run over to the yeah. other side and he'd tap some more stuff in. Then he'd yeah. go up to the middle and there was a second mic for him to do his harmonies, harmonies and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. he ran around like a lunatic for two hours. And it was fantastic. And the low point was when the band was with him. Strange enough. Yeah, I yeah. actually you know. just got an image of you up there. I assume you brought your, your kids up there and, and it was probably thousands of these teenagers uh, singing along and enjoying themselves. And Connor's up there. Was that the station is placed over there? Look at those subs in the course. Yeah. Like, that's when you're a musician, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Better turn than the fans. There's an element of... No, I, I do want to point out... You know, like I was listening to some of the other podcasts and you were asking about Legacy and like they, you had other... Like, listen to... You talk to Dan Murphy and he was going on about his dad... Um, you know, giving giving him a guitar and like the collection, the stuff where you were talking about how, you know, there was Black Sabbath and all this stuff mm. that you you know came came out to, came out to it. And I want to I wanted to establish something like that with my kids to just yeah. give them a love for music. I mean, probably the first song either of them would have known would have been "Flying Me to the Moon" by Frank Sinatra. That's what, yeah. that was the nursery rhymes they had. Yeah, yeah. But we wanted to do something their first proper real big gig. Yeah. And we brought our kids to see ACDC. No, we're talking to the Aviva. Like yeah. they will always be able to look back and say, yeah. first big gig, yeah. first big gig I was ever at was with Malcolm. Uh, yes, no, well, no, no, Malcolm was gone at that. St- Sorry, with, with, yeah. no, Malcolm was was gone at that stage. Oh, it was yeah. his, it was his nephew at that stage. Right, right. I saw them with Malcolm in Punchestown a few years, yeah, ten years earlier. How old were the kids? They're fourteen and fifteen now. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. They were about eight or nine or something yeah, like that. Stay with them forever. And we, we every year yeah. now we try to bring them to see something so like last year they saw Alton John they saw Crowded House they saw Chic they saw Madness so like it's kind of a family thing for us to be trying to go to a couple of gigs we just go to the car boots and wreck Carmel (laughs) (laughs) fly me to (laughs) to the moon (laughs) fly me to McCroom for car boots that's what what we used to call it in the band fly me to McCroom and the the girl from the girl from We have a great photograph yeah. of stopping on the way up to see ACDC 
And I didn't point it out. They pointed it themselves. I've got a photograph. They stopped at, um, I think it was a charge, one of the very early charging points. Oh my God, and yeah. it had AC and DC, DC. Oh, cool. and the two kids pointing at AC and DC like that'll yeah. be like, like a cl- uh, kind of a cool photo in t- 30 years time like uh, it'll be, uh, yeah yeah well it's a cool photo now that's like, great uh, memories lads that's the sort of one thing I'll say about Connor for people who don't know I've met Connor and I've known him for a long time now at this stage Connor is as reliable as an old Ford tractor <laughs> if he if Connor tells you that there's a bag, and I've said this, but this is the example of you. See that bag over there? There's two XLRs, two jack-to-jack, one 50-foot jack-to-jack, and a DI box in that bag. You can bet your bottom dollar, you can bet everything you have that that stuff is in that bag. You know, that kind of reliability. <laughs> yeah. Where you know you know the gear is there, it's good, it's professional. Like I said before, I get a sense of relief when I'm at a gig and I see Connor behind the desk because I know... The experience is there, you know. How long does it take to get that kind of experience? Like, I always say to people who are starting out in music or in anything, you have to be prepared to be pretty bad for a while, you know. You don't start and be good. You do, but you've got to... um, Like, you know, I went back to college and I did a degree in a master's in music um, over the last few years. And uh, Chris O'Hearn, who would have been, who's a friend of mine, but would have been a mentor of mine through my career. He was the guy who started the course in Stefan Nefa. But he ended up teaching us uh, music industry studies on the Masters. And the last class, he kind of said goodbye to everybody with probably a more polite way of saying it, but pretty much, don't be a dick. That's it. Yeah. You know, he said, like, go out there, try and be professional and don't be a dick. Yeah. I, they're not his words but that's that was kind of the sentiment of it Yeah. so like when I started out in the old oak I didn't really have that much experience I didn't really know that much no I had I think I had a decent enough ear and out of huge enthusiasm for a very broad range of music I'm as happy listening to AHA for two hours as I am listening to Dean Martin for two hours right. as I am listening to you know Grave Dweller well <laughs> Grave I never I never had the record but uh, um <laughs> You know, I'd, I'd be as happy listening to even therapy or something like that. That yeah. you know would be reasonably heavy. I do like it to be melodic. You know, but yeah. I think having a very very wide taste in music helps you to be a good sound engineer because you have an idea what it should sound like. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then just don't be a dick. Yeah. So I would always have been enthusiastic. I would always be friendly, and when I started out, I would always be honest. A band setting up and I say, "Listen, lads, I'm fairly new to this. If I'm doing something stupid, just say it to me." Yeah. I, no ego about this at all. I'm here to learn if if, if I can be improved upon, you know. Yeah. I didn't give the whole speech, but you know what I mean? I was yeah. I was always yeah, kind yeah. of like, if I'm doing something wrong, like, you know, drummers, are you putting that there? All right, sorry. Yeah. I'm actually new to this. Yeah. What, what, what would be a better way of doing it? Yeah. And I was very, very lucky because I got some mentors who really, really were generous with their time and generous with their information. People like Dennis Hurley, who passed away a couple of years ago, was very generous with his teaching me you know yeah. I don't think he deliberately felt like he was teaching me but you were learning you know, from watching him he he. I was learning from watching him and he was giving me advice all the time Mossy Connery from Middleton she's mm. everything I do with drums I learn from Mossy mm. yeah. he just he was you know I got to sit beside him for about three or four years to, when he did sound for Bog the Donkey because yeah. the house engineer was there regardless and especially analogue drums on an analogue desk everything I did was what Mossy did Yeah, everything I did no, on a digital desk, I take it a different different way. And I do like 
a very open sound of drum kit, so I don't mic close mic as much as I used to. But the close micing stuff I learned was all from Massey. Uh, a, guy called, a guy called John O'Donoghue as well, who's kind of gone out of the business, but he was, he was a, again, very generous with his information. And a guy called Duncan O'Cleary. So I was very lucky I had these guys that had no problem showing me the ropes. And there was some other guys like Paul Ashbound in Dublin whenever I got to work with him. So generous with what he was telling me what would be the best thing to do, you know. And I learned from these guys because I, I didn't come in going on. Do you want to hear my best cranky sound engineer's story? Okay, go ahead. I was doing sound for a band called Waiting Room at Oxygen. And uh, they were a great band. Just brilliant band. I was actually blown away with how, how well-known they were. They're like It was in the same tent as Primal, Primal Scream. They nearly had as many people Good to see it. them in the mid-afternoon as Primal Scream had it later on in the day. Um, but a couple of bands ahead. Now, at a festival like that, you don't get the sound check at all. Yeah, unless check. unless you're... You don't even get the line check. Don't you? It's literally, go, what? (laughs) Fuck. So they brought me up, uh, this engineer was from a venue in Dublin, and now I've I've got to know him. I got to know him afterwards, and he's all right, but his first impression was pretty bad. So I went, I was brought up by the band in between acts to be introduced to your man. And they they said, uh, uh, this is such and such from such and such a venue in Dublin, which would have been equivalent to Cypress Avenue at the time. And I just reached out my hand to shake his hand and said, I'm Connor from Cypress Avenue in Cork. I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> Jesus, burn. <laughs> I was there. I was there. What? Yeah. And he goes, what do you want? Like Jack or phone or what is it? Yeah. And I was there. Okay, sorry, you're not getting this. I'm the front of house engineer. Like basically the... I'm his boss for the 40 minutes that I'm here. You know? Like, the, the, the house engineer is yeah, supposed yeah. to be there to accommodate yeah. the the engineer. Yeah. He's supposed to be there to help me do my job. Yeah. And he was after telling me he didn't Jesus give a fuck who I was. I was there, I, I was there like, um, no, I'm, I'm the front house engineer yeah. for a waiting room. And yeah. he was there, he thought it was their buddy who wanted to record it or something. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I was like, and then, then, I, then I got really panicked because I'd rung ahead because yeah. I'm from Cork I've only used certain kinds of desks because there's only so many there was only so many desks in Cork at the yeah, time yeah. and I was scared shitless I'd be hitting a fucking Heritage Street thousand or something like that yeah. because they're enormous and I'd never used one before Yeah. so I'd rung ahead to find out and the guys in Little Lane said oh it'll be a GL 4000 I said great I own a GL 2200 perfect I'll have no trouble with that and in the middle of having this conversation when I looked over GL 3000 <laughs> this yeah. is Midas desk because it takes about six people to lift yeah and even at six foot I can barely reach the top of it oh Jesus so I was now I've got an engineer who's just not going to help and a desk I've never seen before in my life and so I came up then for our changeover the lads are being bounced onto the stage up with they've got their own engineer for monitors so we can't even hear what's going on up there and he's there what you want oh I want a gate on this I want a gate on that I want a compressor on that and he's, he's over the other side and he's plugging all those in for me and I, I'm just kind of like trying to get ahead of things trying to trying to guess what gain would work for whatever like that and Nigel was a really quiet singer that's why they always brought me with them for those gigs because it was kind of one of these guys that managed to deal with the fact that Nile was one of the loudest guitar players and one of the quietest singers Nigel sorry quietest singers you'd ever come across in your in, the, in your world like it was just really really hard to do sound for and it's like I'm there and uh, he goes they're nearly ready there now and I'm just I'm starting to unmute the channel and the band started 
That was the soundtrack. Oh, Jesus, it gives me anxiety. Like I, got, I, just, I just about got Nigel's button unmuted by the time he started singing. Oh my god! And then you're you're, and then you're trying to EQ you're, on the fly. You're EQing, you're mixing on the fly. You're going down like that, and your man comes over and he goes, uh, uh, "You look like you know what you're doing there." <laughs> I'm going to go on my break. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fuck off! And wonder, <laughs> <he's> <laughs> away People wondered in why you might come across as a bit cranky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, high yeah. pressure. Right? Like, that's high I pressure. can feel the vein in my side of my head. You're telling that story. Never mind yeah. having to do it. Uh, yeah. And and the whole time this is happening, the, the bloody tent was filling. I was expecting yeah. us to play to twenty people. Jesus. Yeah. You know, it was, it was it was great. It was great fun. Yeah, it was my great territory. Which is, uh, there was a, a, um, a lecturer lives very near here, by the way. Um, uh, a lecturer in the School of Music that I... Uh, lecturer's not here. Um, well, the main lecturer I had all the way through my degree, my master's, Anya Whelan, lives near here. Oh, yeah. She Incredible there. singer. And what a teacher. She's just just all-around brilliant musician. But her husband played guitar with Van Morrison for years. That's right, yeah. Scott, uh, Johnny yeah, Scott. And I was lucky enough to have him for ensemble in third year, but when I did my master's, I got to have a, a semester of guitar lessons with him. Mm. Um, but I can remember the first thing, like, just brilliant guitar player, brilliant musician all, all around. Um, but I remember the first class he had with us as an ensemble and he just says something along the lines of uh, professionals take criticism amateurs take insult yeah it's true because he said I'm I'm going to be criticising you that's what I'm here for yeah you can take that as constructive criticism and and do something with it or you can take insult you know I hear you yeah and there's a lot of truth in that it's about your personal makeup too whether you're able to take it isn't it like I'm, yeah, not, I'm not maybe. saying I can always take it myself, but you're going to. It's you know. always stings yeah. a bit. I don't care yeah. who you are. Yeah, but it's how you what you do with it, isn't it? I suppose. But how yeah. many fellas are out there playing gigs and playing weddings and playing pubs that don't have any academia behind them? Or do you know what I mean? Whereas I suppose they're still learning. If you're still willing to learn, I mean, how yeah. much? How hmm. much did you? I mean, you, you've got a lot of academic background in the school of music and Stefan Efe and other courses, and now educating yourself. But it sounds like you learned an awful lot of your stuff from the likes of Miles Connery and the lads on the road before you even went into the course. Like, and what comparison, what percentage of it do you learn out there working but listening as opposed to a classroom environment? Well, look, it, it depends on where you're going. Look, I've played in bands for years and I learned no real musicianship out of it. I don't know. Mm. Who, I, I like, obviously some, mm. but, you know... I, I, I found myself at 40 years of age or whatever it was at the time being the band leader of a big band with brass in it, um, you have to notate everything for for them, you know, because we wouldn't rehearse that often. So, like, we do a first dance, it's, okay, lads, this is the format of the song, go away and learn it. This is the video to learn from, because we've had those situations where there might be three different versions on YouTube. Yeah. So you'd send them the version. Yeah. But the brass then has to be written for. So you've got to write what the trumpet and trombone and, and, and saxophone are playing. And they'll sight read it, and they? and they just sight read it because the lads they're just brilliant sight readers. They do they, oh. the lads I have they work they were in the army and that's all they do. Those army bands, free, their sight reading, their sight reading is is, is phenomenal. And I was very lucky. No, I'm still lucky, but who I have no. But I was very lucky for a, a good seven or eight years. I had Michael Collins, Roy Gallagher, and and Phil O'Reilly as my brass section. Hmm. Like the lads have been in the army together since like 1986 or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And they just played as those guys could. They could um, improvise as a unit. Yeah, they're absolute. Poor old fellow passed away during the lockdown. Sorely missed. Absolutely brilliant guy. Um, but they could. They could read anything. You put anything in front of them. 
they'd read it and they'd play it with, with passion. But if you jammed out a song, you'd make the start, they'd start coming in with stabs and little yeah. fills. And you'd be kind of, you're kind of going, how? Yeah. You know, discipline like have, you ever seen, have you ever seen yeah. the guys who were just reading sheet for the first time and they're like this? Do you ever see and a drummer? barely blinking. Do you ever see a drummer doing it? It's, oh, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's just ama- it amazes I, me. I played in a pantomime years ago. I played guitar, but shit, I didn't know what I was doing. You had to learn the chords. It's going to learn the chords. Yeah. Ma- I kind of half make up stuff as I went along. I'd say, but like it was a local thing in Rat Downey and Lee. Yeah. But the drummer was uh, I can't remember his name, but he was fantastic. Um, but he'd just be, he'd be kind of nudging me, turn the page there for me. He'd just turn. He wouldn't even know the song. He would have never have heard it. Oh, yeah. Reading three lines ahead, like. And I, it, I mean, oh like, he'd, like, it was like, girls aloud, dum, 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 And next thing he'd just come in, bang. He'd know all the stops and everything. He'd know all the But, like, I'm definitely. Looking at the page, like, like he was typing. From doing the degree, I definitely learned how to write those charts better. And how to write them clearer and to know what I'm actually doing as opposed to just, does that sound right? Oh no, try this, I'll try that, I'll try the other. I've more mm. of an idea of what'll sound right before I do it now. I definitely have better vocal technique. I had, I had Anya Whelan teaching me vocals for, for five years. It was just, you know, like I can, I can go out. I've, you know, I've, I've had my weeks where I've done nine gigs and, you know, my voice is good on the last one as it was in the first one, oh. which, which it wouldn't have been. 10 or 15 years ago. So I did learn a lot from it. Musicality, I, though. I'm talking about industry savvy. Do you know, it, yes and no. But, yeah. like, I did learn things like, which has really stood to me in my career now where I'm working with young people and teaching them music, is I got to go in at 42 years of age and be in a classroom with 18-year-olds. Yeah. They were like aliens to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm. I didn't believe in sir 24 years before they were born. You know, yeah, I was, yeah. and, and like, I genuinely, you know, I'm, I'm not an old man, but to them, I was, I was. How did you overcome you know, that challenge? Granddad. I don't know if I ever did. Yeah. I don't know if I ever did. And, you know, I hope it wasn't too much of a pain in the ass for them. Some of them certainly were a pain in the ass to me. Yeah. Not all of them. There were some brilliant people there. Interesting. The dog, Steve Clifford, is, the, the, is the, every band flogged the something or flag or flag yeah, to something? Yeah. something We've worked do something to the thing. You need yeah. an adjective yeah. and an animal, and you need it's better, it doesn't have it, to be, but trees. Is, 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 is it all variations of Spank the Monkeys? No, it started with Pog the Dog. But then it went into Flog the Dog, Flake the Gander, Wash the Dog, Bait the Camel. <laughs> Do you know what? Shoot the turkey. Do you know what's yeah. under the dawn underneath? Uh, I wonder what those dead metal bands could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of, uh, Sacrifice to goat. <laughs> <laughs> Shave the corpse. Yeah. <laughs> do they do the slosh, do you know? <laughs> Shave the corpse. <laughs> Connor, I want to ask you something. Mm. You're one of the few people I know, a people that I know that has, like I said a while ago, made your career out of music your income and your life is has always been music related whether or not like it's in educating or sound engineering or rental or bands yourself solos you've done it all is that the key is having your fingers in multiple pies the I, key or what I is the key I absolutely thought I had it made I thought that yes I have the formula do many things mm. and then the pan- pan- pandemic came along and every one of my many things Stopped. was gone straight away yeah no, I'd already finished up the hire at that stage because it was kind of a bit of a... I kept cash flow, but it was, it was like busy fool. You were always paying for repairs. You were always paying, buying new stuff because things yeah. were broken. Or you had 
four gigs on and one of your regular customers kind of wanted to pay and you'd end up having to buy something to try and make that happen. And it just, I'd, I'd, I'd wound that up. But yeah, I think you need to do, to have any chance of making a living out of music, you need to do a bunch of things. I'd be very honest with you, I don't know if I, if, if I had a conversation with myself when I was 29 from this perspective, would I do it again? I don't know. Because mm. it, it hasn't been easy. What it's been you? nice the last couple of years now having a, a, an income that pays the mortgage and that I can pick and choose a little bit more and I can enjoy you, yeah. enjoy it a bit more. Yeah. Uh, so, like, having the day job and playing on the side is probably the way to go forward. But if you are going to do it full-time, you've got to do it full-time. You've got to do a whole bunch of things because there won't be enough. Like, if you go out, let's say, you know, if Mike didn't have plumbing to, mm-hmm. to, to do and he was living off his gigging, then, you know... He wouldn't be here now recording a podcast. Well, what if you lost your voice? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. if you broke your hand? Yeah. You know, it's like, God, it's everything gone straight away. Yeah. Whereas I could still go out and do sound. I could still go out and do hire. That's true. I yeah. did installation, maintenance, service calls, all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. So I did do a, a lot of, a lot of different things. And I think that's the only way that I survived for the, whatever it was, fucking 17, 18 years that I did it full time. What would you tell 29 year old you now if you could, if you had the chance? Um, forget about the PA here. Because I, I think it was a bit of a fool's game. Um, there was just, there's just too many overheads. There's too much to be fixed and paid for and the rush to buy the latest gear, all this kind of carry on. Um, other than that, I would say uh, to my 21, nine-year-old self is, is start playing, practicing a lot more guitar before your uh, repetitive strain uh, issues in your hands <laughs> kind of rule out practicing too much. Um, I'd love to play guitar all day long. I'd love to play piano all day long, but piano particularly sets off my hands. I could play guitar a fair bit without without it hurting, but piano would hurt after about 10, 15 minutes. So practice when you can. Uh, so practice when you can and look after your body, um, mm. look after your health, because, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways of hurting yourself in this business. Yeah. I'm lucky. I know I've had back injuries, but I've been able to come back from all of them. Yeah. But it's... it's uh, it's hard to gig when when you're. Yeah. I've I've actually gigged with a nice pack on my back, like. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I've, I pulled a muscle going on stage in in the middle of my back, and we had to keep going, and it was like we gaffer taped a, um, an ice pack, Jesus. and I mean a bag of ice from yeah. from the bar, in a plastic bag yeah. strapped to my back to just try and you know get through yeah. the gig, Jeez. you know. So what you're doing, yeah, like, um, look, we've yeah. all done it, which is a Marcus, my buddy, now plays guitar. He, he quit the band a few years ago. We still play a few bits and pieces. But he came to do a Moondogs gig there a couple of years ago and Steve Lee, he couldn't do the gig. And uh, he caught his hand the day of the gig. He super glued yeah. his finger to do the gig. Dan has super glue in his bag all the time in case he cuts uh-huh. his hand. He says you can use it on your cuts as a quick fix. It got to about the third last song that was blood all over the guitar at the end of it. Like, That's fucking rock and roll. That's yeah. rock and roll, yeah. <laughs> Come here, Connor. Pleasure having you on, boy. Good stuff. We yeah, have a jam. Connor, thanks, will you? Yeah. Yeah, and thanks for all the advice stories. Mm, that was really it's good. Great, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, will you? Hope it didn't bore you too much. No, no it's insightful. Yeah. You know, you have a lot of knowledge. Yeah. Will we um, do a death metal number? We will, yeah. That'll be real. That'll be real fast. Live and die to it. Shave the corpse. <laughs> In trains, what is it? <laughs> I don't know, I've been told Better slow down, you better go old Tired of screwing up, tired of going down I'm tired of my 
myself and tile this town Oh my mind, oh hell yes Honey, put on that party dress Buy me a drink, sing me a song Take me as I come, cause I can't see long Last town to Mary Jane One more time to kill the pain, yeah I've got, all the, I've got all the lyrics. Yeah. But that's what I do, I forget lyrics. No, it's it's one of my talents. I love Petty. I love Petty so much, I don't play him. I don't do him at gigs. I, I don't I, think I do it. We just, only did a couple of gigs, but I was Con Petty in, in, a, in a Tom Petty tribute band for a very, very short really? period. Just, I was devastated when he died. And no, I wouldn't be that. Uh, uh, I didn't think I was that much a fan. Until I'm a massive fan. I, he, yeah. he, fuck, he's gone. I've never seen him. Never saw him live. I got to see him live. Thankfully, That's yeah. no, I didn't. Did your father ever see him live? I don't don't think so. He hadn't played in Ireland since yeah. ninety two or three or something. But he's one of those. Yeah. I was kind of one. Of, I realised I was that much of a fan. I felt like I kind of half knew him. You feel like you nearly know these fellas, like you know. Yeah. 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 If you're kind of following them so much, but you don't even realise it. Next, fuck, he's gone. He's dead. Yeah. Uh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Take it down to L.A. Find a place to call my own and try to fix up. Start a brand new day. Woman I'm thinking of, she loves me all up. I'm so down today. So fine, she's in my mind. I hear her calling. See the lonely boy out on the weekend, just trying to make it pay. Can't relate to joy, he tries to speak and can't begin to say. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to this episode of It's All Music Podcast with Harry, Henny and Porky. Produced by me, Dave Quirk. Executive produced by me, Dave Quirk. The music by me, Dave Quirk. Incidental music by me, Dave Quirk. Talent booking by Owen Hennessy. Tea making and venue setup, Mike Carey. Yep, we're doing all this ourselves. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for us? Email us at itsallmusicpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook and leave a message. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to It's All Music Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Loves me all up. This has been a Dave Park production in association with ACAST. So fine she's in my mind, I hear her calling. See the lonely 
We got it all in one in this episode. We'll be having it on again. Thanks for listening to the It's All Music podcast with Kerry, Henny, and Quirky. We're blown away by your support. The It's All Music podcast is a completely independent, self-financed venture. If you enjoy what we're doing and you enjoy listening, you can support us by heading over to our Patreon page and subscribing for three euros a month. If you don't have three euros a month, don't stress. You can still listen to the podcast. And you can support us by sharing our content on your social media pages.